Hello, this is session two of Beginnings, and this is more of an introduction than we had last time. Um, from the time my parents gave me a Bible, a study Bible, when I was 16, I've studied Scripture the rest of my life, and um, that's basically 1969 until now. Um, from 1975 to 80, I was a uh, double major in Bible and music performance. And then from 76 through, uh, all the way up really, but 76 through 82, I was a youth director and I worked under um, a 40 years missionary from Gabon and Ivory Coast named Walter Arnold. Uh, and boy, did I learn some things about translation and experience from him. Um, and then 1982, through 1996, I was a senior Bible teacher for um, Sheets Memorial uh, Christian School, and then 96 through 2001 for uh, Roanoke Valley School in Roanoke, Virginia. Um, and all along, while I was getting my master's degree, I was uh, UNCG in music education. I was still teaching and working uh, with the Bible. And so it's been a great privilege and a great pilgrimage to do that. Um, and as I said, my former students, even my children, wanted me to put down into recording the things that they had learned. Um, why is studying the Bible important? Because there is no other book, none unto man, that is infallible, and from God to us. It is his letter to us on how to deal with the truth of existence. Um, I had a couple words I used last time. One of them was inexorable. Inexorable means to um, not be able to be stopped. It is a force that is going to go forward no matter what happens. Uh, it's not open to prayer. It's not open to... Um, please, it's not open to uh, pressure from other people. It's not open to anything. An inexorable force is going to happen. God is an inexorable force. And therefore, uh, as I was talking about bara, which means God spoke, and 2 Timothy 3.16, which means uh, theonoustos, which means God spoke, in other words, if the eternal God can't create like he said he can, and if he can't inspire the people that are his servants to produce a scripture that is preserved, accurate, and what he wants, then there's no point talking any further uh, because that is God's statement to us. I produce this book. It has the answers for your life. And for all of truth, it is the root source for all of truth. That's not saying we don't know more about technology and other things than the Bible ever spells out. But the roots of it are in the Bible. In fact, the Oppenheimer said of the uh, atomic bomb, if God's laws were not uh, faithful, uh, the universe's laws, the laws of science were not faithful and true and, and unchanging, then there's no way we could predict how to do a bomb or anything else because you have to have 
laws of science. Laws of science are something that's never been observed to be falsified in any situation. You say, well, yeah, well, what about the law of gravity and the law of an airplane flying? That's very, very simple. Airplanes are still under the law of gravity. It is the, it is the chief law of, in terms of motion like that. Um, and if you don't believe it, you just watch as I did my uh, fellow pilot uh, passengers and our pilot turned off the engine for a minute. And we began sinking in an aircraft that was really pretty glide worthy for an aircraft. It was a small Cessna. Um, but with no engine, it began to fall. And he said, you do this in a jet and you're going to fall like a rock. You're going to plummet. The truth of it is that we have learned that God's law of aerodynamics, which is, we learned how to fly by studying a bird's wing. The law of aerodynamic lift is simply able to supersede the law of gravity if you know how to use it. And so God's laws are made that way. You can use his laws together to accomplish something that doesn't seem possible at first. But that doesn't mean gravity is not a law anymore. Uh, and anybody who knows anything knows uh, the way we got to the moon is we didn't have enough gas to get to the moon. So once we fired our rockets, we got into the gravity of the moon. And it had to pull us to itself and then we fired our rockets to get out of its gravity, and then we had to fire our rockets one more time to get back into the Earth's pull and, and ride the Earth's pull back. Uh, and if we didn't, we weren't going to make it. So, the laws of God are not changeable. We can understand more about them, as in the case of aerodynamics, and do something that seems impossible. But it's not impossible. It's just something we have just found out. God knew it all along. His birds knew it just fine. They knew it by instinct. They just do it. Uh, and it works. But uh, we didn't know it until some people studied it and figured it out. So, why do we study the Bible? Well, 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Now, the word divide is the word ortho in the Greek. It's the word we get orthodontist from. It's also a sailing term. If you're sailing, the only way to know you're getting what, where you're heading is you look behind you. If your wake is straight, you're sailing a straight path. Then you look ahead. If you have a visual landmark, you just follow it to the other shore. However, if you get out in the ocean, then you have to reckon by the stars. And there's a whole science of navigation uh, caused by a man named Bowditch. Uh, today, if you're a sailor or air navigator in the military, you will own a copy of Bowditch, even though he wrote his in the late 1700s, early 1800s. You will own a copy of Bowditch, and Bowditch will teach you how to triangulate for longitude, how to uh, shoot a uh, latitudinal reading with a sextant, and and know where you are. And then, of course, reckoned by the stars, the North Stars, and other things. The word ortho is how to navigate the Word of God. There are all kinds of crazy things said about the Word of God. You can make, the Word of God is like statistics, and if you're alive 
in 2020, you know that people lie about statistics. They just throw a bunch of numbers around. And if you don't understand statistics, you can really get swayed. You have to, uh, you have to know how to pin them down and say, wait a minute, wait a minute. What is your background research? What is your reliability? What is your validity for this study? Uh, how many people were in the study? With only three? Uh, I, that's not a valid statistical study. No, 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 no. So you have to know how to pin the statistics down. Well, you can do the same thing with the Bible. There's an old joke about this guy said, okay, I'm going to tell you Bible. And he says, all right, Judas hanged himself. Okay, that's a fact. Uh, and then he said, and Jesus said, go thou and do likewise. Do likewise what? Hang yourself. What? And whatsoever you do, do it quickly. Well, now Jesus did do say, did say, go do likewise. But he didn't say it about Judas hanging himself. He was talking about other things. So there are rules for interpreting the scripture. If you do not use them, you can end up way out in left field on a crazy idea. Um, you can be sure that the Bible can be known to where you can know how to live. And I'm going to use an illustration from Bowditch. After Bowditch uh, was well on the way to developing his whole navigational uh, series and including a book of navigational charts and tables that you could use logarithms, like just like we're in our high school calculus and math books. He created a whole book of logarithms so that people who were not great ma mathematicians could, could do his uh, equations for longitude, and they are very involved. So he did a whole book, and he checked his answers four times, the whole book. Um, but along the way, the reason people were interested in what he had to say about anything was one night he was coming into Salem, Massachusetts. Now that harbor is very dangerous. Sailing ships, uh, the wreckage of sailing ships is all along the sand shores, sand shoals in that harbor, all over the place. Well, the men wanted to get home. It was Christmas time and it was a fog. And what you did in fog is you put down the anchor and you waited. Uh, it said, nope, we're going to go in. He had a stopwatch. He had a speed indicator, which in those days was a long rope in it with knots tied in it. And you would measure how many seconds it was from this knot to the next knot. And it was a very uh, precisely tied rope. You knew exactly how many inches and quarter inches, whatever, was between those knots. And so when you went from one knot past the next knot, that was one knot miles an hour, uh, or in, in their case, knots per hour, nautical knots. So he had a knot measuring rope that they threw out. He had lead chains or lead chains where you would throw it out and it would sink to the bottom and it had markings on it. And Mark Twain was because by the Mark Twain was a certain depth. Mark Twain had been a uh, riverboat captain and involved with riverboats on the Mississippi River and lead chains or lead chains were very important because the Mississippi River changes its channels all the time. Well, so he had a, a watch, time. He had chains, depth. He had a measure for speed, the nautical rope knots that they used at the time. And he 
was known to uh, do this type of thing so that the owners were told by another ship that got in just before the fog really closed in. They said, Bowditch's ship, the Putnam, is not anchored. It was moving. We don't know where he's going, but it's moving. Bowditch's father lost his chance to be a captain because he wrecked a ship in just such a situation. So the owners of the ship were frantic. They're running around town trying to find somebody who can go see something uh, with a telescope. Or, you know, it's useless in the fog, but they were just frantically running around until someone said, uh, we know where your ship is. And they said, what? Where? Your ship is tied safely to the dock in the harbor. And the men were having trouble finding their houses but the ship was safe because so many seconds at such a speed and if the depth chains tell you that you are where you think you are in the depth of the water of the channel at, at a certain time, so many minutes, you should be at certain depths if you know your channel well. And he did. He had memorized the charts. Well, that's impossible. I've been out in the fog in the ocean and it was no fun. I didn't enjoy it. Uh, but he was that confident. We can be that confident. Uh, a friend of mine has a song, in the day, in this day of confused situations, in a night of re restless remorse, when the heart and the soul of a nation lies wounded and still like a corpse, Michael Kelly Blanchard. This fog, this danger of life that we live through, you can go right to the anchorage in the harbor safely, but you have to follow the navigational charts. You have to rightly divide the word of truth. You have to know where you're heading. You have to be able to cut a straight course to the proper longitude and latitude in life and live a correct life. It's also, ortho is also the word for orthodontists. Get the teeth cut and straight so the kid can eat a sandwich and all those kinds of things. So the Bible is our chart. Now, the first two rules that we're going to use are very simple. There's a golden rule of interpretation. It says, if the plain truth, the plain sense, makes sense, seek no other sense. In other words, when you have Jesus standing at Lazarus' tomb and it says Jesus wept, there's no need to go off on some super spiritual tangent about Jesus wept. Now, there are some things in there. Why is the Son of God weeping when he knows he's going to raise him from the dead? And he could have gotten there earlier and healed him. He could have healed him from where he already was. Why is he weeping? Well, his poor friend had to go through the pain of death, and now he's going to raise him from the dead, and then he's going to have to go through the pain of death twice. And Jesus feels our sorrows and our needs and our problems. But the basic truth is there. Jesus wept. He, he cried. He was upset about his friend's situation. So the golden rule, if the plain sense makes sense, seek no other sense. Jesus hanged himself. Well, that's exactly what he did. Um, you know, Cain 
killed Abel. Well, yeah, that's what he did. He killed him. He didn't have a gun, by the way. Probably used a rock. We might have to outlaw rocks, too. But um, evil and hatred and murder, when it's in the Bible, and the Bible doesn't gloss over and varnish and and put icing on the cake. No. Um, when the Bible says somebody did something, it, it did it. And uh, so when the plain sense makes sense, seek no other sense. That's the golden rule. Don't try to make secondary and tertiary meanings out of something that's just very simple. You know, that's it. Uh, the silver rule is also very important. No one scripture stands alone. It can't be held as true. It doesn't stand alone without all the rest of scripture. Well, wait a minute. You mean to tell me that um, when the Bible says that Jesus was there at creation and holds all things together, that's not true without the rest of the Bible? Well, yes and no. It's not true if Genesis 1-1, God did not really create the earth as he said he did. You see, Genesis 1-1 hinges on Colossians 1-17, and Colossians 1-17 hinges on Genesis 1-1. Scripture does not ever just throw an idea out there and just let it sit. No, there are other scriptures that modify in terms of explain. And some of the old preachers used to say the Bible is its own best concordance and lexicon. In other words, if you read the Bible long enough, it will become its own dictionary. It will tell you what it's trying to tell you. Now, those two rules are going to rule us as we go through. Let's return to Genesis 1. The inexorable latitude, the inexorable link between Genesis 1-1 and Theopneustos is this. God said it, and it's true. He created, he gave us the Bible. And um, if you know anything about navigation, if you start out from England and don't know what you're doing, you can end up in Africa instead of England. You have to know how to follow the charts. So, um, Bible students who do not come to understand the gold and silver rules, they end up in pitiful situations. And I, as time goes on, I'll probably tell you a few stories. Some of them are almost humorous until you realize this person really believed these things and, and caused them trouble, okay? Um, so, the inexorable truths, the creative God who gave us creation and who gave us the Bible. And an interesting thing about creation is you need to realize this. When you come to understanding truth and existence, Paul Sartre said, the problem is not that nothing is there. That would make sense. The problem is not that nothing is there, but that something is there. Without creation, nothing makes sense. Uh, even evolutionists are starting to scramble all over the place and trying to find different answers because there are things about the philosophical problems that we're running through right now. Many of the sad situations in our country and across the world are because evolution is held to be true. And if evolution is true, every time you have an if, there's always a then. 
if evolution is true, then, and now you have all these Disney fantasy things about life could be this, life could be that, life could be the other. And all you have really is confusion. Oh, you think you can figure out your own way. There's a way that seems right in demand, but the, the end of thereof is death. This Disney fantasy world of morality that we're trying to create is not going to work. You see, God set it up, and God loves us, and he loves us enough to say, look, remember, the Bible's good for correction. He's going to say, yeah, you're made in my image. You're smart enough to cook up all kinds of arguments. You know, just like when God got in the ark in the in the garden, Adam and Eve gave him some arguments. He asked Cain, "Where's your brother?" Well, what is, am I my brother's babysitter? Uh, that's not throwing God off. He's he's omniscient. And people come up with all kinds of verbal arguments that they think seal the deal, but God is just sitting there going, uh, "No, I'm God." And that doesn't seal anything. You're just kidding yourself. Okay? Nothing would be logical. If nothing existed, that would be logical. But something existed proves that God has a reason for us existing. Men and women, boys and girls, everybody, uh, there's a reason, there are laws, there are purposes, and we need a standard above us. Sin is always at the center of society death. Always. I don't care how you want to define it. There is a sin of people abusing each other. Whichever way they do it. Doesn't matter. There's all kinds of ways. So, Trafficking, slavery, murder, uh, all kinds of things. Theft, you know, intimidation. What? Doesn't matter. Sin is always at the center of societal death. You're not going to come up with a good life until you're willing to say to yourself, nope, I don't care how much I think I need this, that's sin, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to take care of myself at others' expense like that. So, God spoke into creation. That's the golden rule. That's all there is. The silver rule, everything else you find in the Bible talks about creation. And therefore... It's just inexorably true. The silver rule says it's all connected. And, uh, you know, there's an old saying, uh, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. And my dad said to me, no, God said it, that settles it. It really doesn't matter what you believe about it. It matters for your own good that you believe the truth, but it doesn't matter what you believe about it as far as God's concerned. God's not changing He's not running scared because you don't believe him, okay? Now, in Genesis 1, 3 through 4, God created light. Now, 1 John tells us, in 1 John 1, 5 through 7, God is light. So, did he create it? Well, I might have misspoken in one sense. Because creation is not ex nihilo. It didn't come from nothing. It's ex deo. It came from God. So did he create it? Yeah, well, in the Bible, it just says, let there be light. In other words, the light of God was brought to bear upon the created universe. There is no sun yet. And if you notice, and this is a silver rule, if you notice in the book of Revelation, in the heavenly city and in the heavenly eternal areas, 
There is no sun because God is the only light. It's the only light we need. Then why do you make day and night as as Genesis 1, 3 through 4, and if you go on to 5, calls the light day. By the word, the word day there, another very important starting point, is never used in the scripture except for a 24-hour day, unless it's talking about something like the day of the Lord. Well, the day of the Lord lasts 1,007 years, and we already know that. So there's where the silver rule and the golden rule work in. The plain sense, the day means a day. Yom, the Hebrew word, means 24-hour day. Evening and morning, day. It never means anything else in the scriptures, except in the day of the Lord. And the day of the Lord is carefully mapped out in the prophets, Daniel, Isaiah, um, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Micah, Amos, Malachi, um, Hosea, all of them. Um, Anytime the prophetic books speak about a day, and it's the day of the Lord, we know exactly how long it is. It is the seven years of the tribulation period and the thousand years of the um, millennial period. Period. And, of course, I'm not going to get into that right now. But it is a 1,007 years. We know that. There's, there's no other thing it can be. Because the Bible says, when it gets to it, it's the day of the Lord. So, other than that, 24 hours is 24 hours. And that's all there is to it. Now, God gave light. And he broke it into day and night. Um, there's a word in philosophy called teleology. Some people call it teleology. It is the study of purposes. You need to understand that God gave us time. Um, If you want to know what time is, because um, Elohim is timeless. He doesn't live in time. Time is necessarily for us. It's necessary for epistemology. In other words, epistemology is how do I know truth is truth? Well, you have to come from the universe that God created or you're never going to know truth is truth. You're never going to figure it out. Time is absolutely essential for the human being to exist, for us to do what we need to do. God's eternity is global. Uh, It is this, well, our symbol for it is a figure eight, no beginning, no end. When we get married, if you get married and the preacher's there, he's going to hold up a ring and say, a circle, unbroken. And if you know anything about metal work, my son, uh, who does blacksmith work, and a a blacksmith down in Dollywood one day I was talking to confirmed this. When you heat that metal and you bend it to touch itself and then you start hammering on it, you actually cause the molecules in that metal to fuse. It's no longer two pieces of metal hooked together at some point. No, it is a an actual, they call it a heat weld. It is a global thing. It is, it, it is a chemical down at the very roots of the foundation of existence thing. God is like that wedding ring when it's heat welded together. There really is no beginning or end in a ring. There's an old uh, American folk song. It's a ring when it's rolling, it has no end. A 
It's just God's eternity is like that. You cannot fathom it because God never started. He's never stopped. And he's not even under time where we are, except that Jesus came in time and space and history so that we could know him. If he hadn't, we'd have no idea who God is and how to deal with him. Our eternity is linear. We have a starting point. Our birth is our starting point, or actually our conception. Those nine months, that human is already in there, already everything it's going to be is there. We now know the heartbeat is beating very soon. Um, as soon as that thing splits into a zygote, that baby is already well on the way to being who and what and how it's going to be. And in the womb, those nine months, you can see personality developing. One of the children, I couldn't hardly sleep. And Marsha would snuggle up to my back. And uh, one of them would be kicking me like a, like a mule. The other ones would be more placid. And uh, you'd feel a knee roll around now and then, but it wasn't so bad. Uh, that person in there from the moment of conception is going forward into history, going forward into a future eternity. It's linear, but it is endless. And uh, so we need time. It's for our own good. Um, we need to know that we're going to be born. We're going to grow and develop like Jesus did. We're going to be an adult. And at that point, as an adult, we need to accomplish something. We need a life goal. We need a life existence. And we're going to have to go forward and accomplish something. So when we have time, we will find ourselves now under the constraints of God. Um, movies make this a little difficult because I was watching a movie the other night and then I realized this is 2020. The man died in 1979. He on screen appears to be just fine, but he's not. He's in the grave. He's either in heaven with God or he's in hell not with God. And so we need to make sure that we know that. Uh, Elohim lives in eternity, but we don't. He created time for us. Time is very simple. You take a tennis ball, you put a light bulb over in the room, just one light bulb. You take a tennis ball, you hang it from a string, you put a line around it with a magic marker, you put an ant on it, poor little ant, and you spin that tennis ball. And that ant's going to age real fast because you're spinning that ball too fast. But that spinning tennis ball is day, night, day, night, day, night, day, night. That's all day and night are. The sun is a, is a lamp. Light and dark come from its shadows in our revolutions of the earth. And that's our life. That's it. There is no, there's no Disney getting a time machine and live 24 lives. No. We have this life from God, and in time, we need to do something with it. Um, the evening and the morning were the first day, and God's creation is for our good, and is a purposeful, and uh, notice it's not till the fourth day that you get the lights, the, the stars, and the moon, and everything. So we're going to talk about creation. We're going to talk about human beings. We're going to talk about the covenants that God is going to make. And uh, there's the last thing I want to share with you before we leave today. And there's a principle that comes from Francis Schaeffer. 
<clears throat> a book called He is There and He is Not Silent. Um, we know that God is there because, one, we have epistemology. The science of how we know truth is truth. And it's, there's a lot to it, but basically, uh, when I was young and I wasn't sure about Christianity and whatever, one of the things I came to a conclusion was, wait a minute, is there evil? Or is there something that people all over the world tend to recoil from? Yes, there is evil. There is cruel, mean, heartless, horrible evil. If there's evil, is there good? Yes. Well, where is good? We'll find it. Well, you're not going to find total good apart from Jesus Christ. And God gives you all kinds of things for epistemological uh, things. One is teleology. One is the fact that we need time. We need work. We need to accomplish something. When I All those 37 and more years that I've taught young people, the main thing that you can do, other than the information you give them, but what they need more than that is a reason to use it. And the last five to 10 years that I taught school, the thing I noticed that was different among young people is they no longer, some of them, no longer, uh, and a growing uh, percentage of them, no longer had any reason to use the things that we taught them. What's the point of knowing all this if there's no point in existing? You don't know why you're here. You don't know where you're going. You don't know what's going to happen. There's no reason to exist. Why use all this stuff? Why study all this stuff? Why pass the test? Who cares? I agree. Unless there's a God who loves us. And knowing all this stuff is important for us to build a life where we can accomplish something rear our own children, help them to accomplish something, and reach the end of your life. And, and at 66 years old, I'm now at the point where I still would like to be 19, but I'm not. I'm looking back, and boy, am I thankful for the times that I paid attention to what my parents and told me and good godly teachers told me and did the right things. Because now, as I look back, it's more important to me that I'm not embarrassed and heartbroken at the choices I made than it is how much money I have or don't have. Uh, all those things are important, but it's more important that I don't have to look back with regret. And God gives us time to teach us. Eternity's in our heart. That's where all that Disney stuff comes from. Eternity's in our heart. We want to be eternal where you are. And you can be eternal with God by following his word. Or you can be eternal without God, which will not be a good thing, by ignoring his word. And God has given us these, this is just a closing illustration to help us, but God has given us time. He's given us a trinity of trinities. Think about it. Well, I'm not sure about a trinity, three people who's one God. Well, think about it. Matter, all matter, is solid liquid, or gas. It's in a three, basically. And there are other molecular and chemical issues. But basically, matter is a solid, a liquid, or a gas. Space is length, depth, and height. Think about your math class. Two dimension, length and width. Three dimension, length, width, or depth, and height. Length, width, height. Length, depth, height. 
three things to figure out the area or volume or something. Um, time, past, present, and future. And there's all kinds of things in this world where threes work. Sometimes it's sevens. There are some sevens. Uh, there's some other numbers that work. But time is the first step of teleology. It is the first indication to us that God is in control and at rule. And if you don't give God his place in creation, God created me. I was born in, with certain abilities and I can either use them to honor God and to benefit my fellow man, like George Washington Carver went in the woods one day and said, Dear Lord, why'd you make a peanut? And when he got finished, that county of Alabama went from the poorest to the richest in all the South. Um, and I'll talk about him in more depth later. But he prayed something and he did something fantastic. We need to pray, God, why did you make me? What do I need to do with the time I've got? Help me to understand the gold and silver rule. Interpret your word correctly. Eventually, we've got to know something about covenants and dispensations, all kinds of stuff, the laws of God, and what are, we, what are they all about? We're going to cover all of that. Uh, but Lord, help me to have a beginning of an understanding. Who I am, why you created me, what do I do with the years that I have? Every day I live, I need to live it to the fullest, and I have tried to do that. Imperfectly, I'm going to tell you, but I have tried to do that. Every day to the fullest, give it to God, use my time well, be aware of that God's nature, a triune being, the, the Jehovah, the all-powerful covenant-keeping God, uh, he's above me, and so I have to obey his laws if I'm going to be happy. If I'm going to be happy. Um, I had a child who thought that the greatest thing in the world was the two yellow lines in front of our house. Unfortunately, the speed limit in front of our house was 55 miles an hour. And there was a Pittsburgh paint and glass company at the end, a uh, factory at the end of our road. And him walking on those yellow lines as two and a half, three-year-old uh, was not going to end up well with a Mack truck coming 55 miles an hour down the road hauling an 18-wheel trailer. It wasn't going to end up very well. And the only way for that child to be happy and safe was for me to build a fence in our backyard and put a lock on the gate so he could get in the house and get out in the fence and play in the sandbox but he could not get out of that fence into the road, which was not going to be good for him. And his fascination with the yellow lines, I agree, I think they're fascinating too. But you can't walk on them with an 18-wheeler bearing down on you. God made his physical laws, his spiritual laws, and his moral laws so that we could be happy, safe, and well cared for and reach his heaven and spend eternity with him in glory and live a life that's fulfilled and well worth living instead of one of shame and brokenness and sadness and despair. 
Let's pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Honored be your name. Lord, I want your kingdom to come. I don't want mine. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, give us this day our daily bread. We need we need things. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation in this dark and sinful world. And deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.